Hello, and welcome to Final Show Films. I'm John, or Sinstaku, as you might know me on Twitter, the executive producer here, and I just want to thank you for watching. It really means a lot to us that people watch, listen to, and enjoy our shows. If you want to help us keep making these shows as fun and lively as they can be, please join your fellow fans in supporting us at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fsfilms, or by subscribing to our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash finalshowfilms. It really means a lot to us that the amount of you who do support us continue to do so, especially our $25 plus tier supporters on Patreon. Antitonic, Catwater Flame, Samantha Bates, Maureen Monty, and Gravity Alexander. Every little bit helps, so thank you to all of our patrons and subs. Check us out on Twitter at Final Show Films and on our website at www.finalshowfilms.com for updates, go live notifications, and more. We love interacting with you, so feel free to tweet at us or email us at finalshowfilms at gmail.com. That being said, please relax and enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critical Thinking Episode 47, where this week we're talking about Critical Role Episode 46, Cindergrove Revisited. I'm John, at John A. Bates on Twitter, and with me today is Jack. Hi, everybody, I'm Jack. I'm at AltF4Gamers on Twitter. And Jeremy. Hello, I'm Jeremy Thomas, at JThomas411Mania on the Twitter. And this ep- the episode this week stars Laura Bailey as Vexalia, Talzin Jaffe as Percy, Liam O'Brien as Vaxeldon, Marcia Ray as Keyleth, Sam Riegel as Galen, Travis Willingham as Grog, and Matthew Mercer as the Dungeon Master. Special guest starring Chris Hardwick as Gern Blanston. And we'll get there. Oh, we will get there. Well, on the, on the road to getting there, Jack, take it away. All right. So previously on Critical Role... Our band of intrepid adventurers, Vox Machina, having a horrible encounter with the Chroma Conclave, who are these chromatic evil dragons that have just gone over Taldore and kind of demolished it. Uh, but they, as a party, have fled and are now seeking info on how to possibly eventually defeat these creatures and restore order to the kingdom, yada, yada, yada. Their main objective on this is seeking about a number of artifacts called the Vestiges of Divergence, which are ancient powerful things from wars long ago that could aid them in defeating the dragons, etc., etc. So they've acquired one, uh, almost killed Vexalia doing so. Did, and, did kill Vexalia doing so. Well, I mean, okay, temporarily killed, very briefly killed Vexalia doing successfully so. Successfully killed, equally successfully Got her back. <laughs> Got her back. And then Keyleth, our fantastic druid played by Marisha Ray, did a scry on uh, one of the druidic lineage tribes that she is affiliated with, uh, the Ashari tribe in the settlement of Pyra, uh, which has apparently been decimated um, because that was where the portal to the Fire Elemental Plane was, and that's where Thordaek, the Cinder King, the big red dragon, ripped his way through the dimensional boundaries and came into the Material Plane, seemingly wiping out most, if not all, of the tribe. So, Vox Machina, as a group, makes a journey back to the mountainside, finding it now brimming with volcanic rock volcanic activity it's all very very geothermal and i i get really excited about geology stuff um but uh they climb up the side of this mountain 
They find the remnants of the pirate tribe still alive, and in they are now progressing toward the actual rift in hopes of sealing the tear between the elemental plane of fire and the material plane. Uh, also, some of the Arishari, Keyleth's home tribe, uh, has come to offer aid and assistance, uh, one of which is Corin, Keyleth's father. And so they have a bit of a reunion, and now they are walking toward the center of the mountain Caldera, towards the remnants of the Cinder Grove, uh, in hopes of closing this tear into the elemental plane once and for all. So, starting out this episode, we are confronted with uh, two primary leaders, uh, Sirkonos, who is the uh, leader of the Fire Ashari, natives to Pyra, and Corin, who is the leader of the Arashari, whose home settlement is back on Tal'Dorei, because now they are across the uh, the ocean on the same continent that Vasselheim is on again. But they are making their way toward this elemental conflux of energies that is this rift between the material plane and the elemental plane of fire. Now, it's a fairly standard trope in fantasy literature and this sort of genre that rifts between planes are usually bad. If you're looking for the sort of vibe that goes along with that, all of Stranger Things. Um, Pretty much. Um, So they begin to make their way to where they will hopefully be able to restore balance to the space-time fabric that keeps the planes separated, um, or at least stabilize it. Uh, But the amount of devastation is fairly intense. Uh, Sirkonos himself has lost an arm. uh, Matt talks about it being cauterized basically at the shoulder. Um, And they begin their investigation, and almost immediately Percy sees or takes a look around uh, and notices a small cluster of undead kind of on the borders of what used to be the grove, but is now this sort of destroyed, petrified forest. Um, Some of them fleshy, some of them more skeletal. And Corin sort of taking the lead, which is an interesting character choice, I thought, on Matt's part, in that Sirkonos is the individual who's been in charge of this he is a local he is the 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 person who you would expect to be taking charge however my read on it is that potentially due to the trauma potentially due to his injuries for whatever reason an outsider of probably equal rank if that sort of thing is yeah they're fairly fairly similar position Right, fairly similar position, but it's Corin who, upon hearing that, hey, we've seen some undead, starts giving the directions of, all right, we're going to attack from different, we're going to approach from different directions so as to, you know, maximize our impact and, and make sure that we can uh, we can push into the destroyed cinder grove as effectively as possible. 
um so keep an eye you know you guys proceed against on along this vector we'll come in from another direction the fire assurio coming in from the third uh you know don't engage until you really get into the thick of it basically don't 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 waste your time and don't burn your resources stomping out smaller fires until we get to the big one more or less Vox Machina naturally doing uh, their usual mode when given those sort of instructions says, cool, thumbs up, and then goes off and almost immediately decides that, nope, we've attracted attention, time to kill these things, which they kill one zombie. At which point, a blue-skinned dragonborn comes charging out of the woods, screaming in an Irish accent that they're murdering his friend pets. And we're into Chris Hardwick's character, Gern Blanston, because gotta love a good referential humor. Um, which, pushing the Chris Hardwick thing to the side for the moment, what are your guys' thoughts on out of setting, to an extent, referential humor in storytelling? Because, for instance, and just in case any of our listeners are not aware, Gern Blanston, the name of Chris Hardwick's ter- character, is a pseudonym that Steve Martin pretended to have during one of his comedy stand-up specials where he was pretending that Steve Martin was just his stage name and yep. his actual birth name was Gern Blanston, and there was a whole bit associated with it. So it's all going to be about tone. It's going to be about the tone of, of, of the story and stuff. It's not, I would not expect something like um, Lord of the Rings to use a lot of meta humor. Right. Uh, and a lot of a lot of humor that ref, is, is referential to things that are not Lord of the Rings. I would not expect Game of Thrones to do it. Um, I... Uh, I wouldn't expect um, trying to think of something that's not fantasy. That would be a good example of it. Um, uh, some some of the more serious sci-fi epics to mm-hmm. to do that kind of thing. Star Wars um, isn't going to be referencing Star Trek. Yeah, Star Wars exactly. exactly. Except for maybe in a weird, some weird offshoot comic book something. Yeah, you know what or, I mean? Or, or the fact that George Lucas thinks putting E in the galactic set it is funny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, on the other hand, a show like Buffy lived off that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, shows it's like Supernatural. Um, Supernatural, Re- Su- Supernatural Su- that was... Some of the best episodes were ones that were completely uh, had, referential. Supernatural had a Scooby-Doo episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and it was there. Really is, <laughs> there was actually there was a there was an issue of uh, uh, Generation X that I read recently from the mid '90s. It was either Generation X or X Force because I'm reading through all of the X books and I'm in the I'm in the 1997-1998 area. But they literally fucking encounter the mystery machine and two people who while they are not named Shaggy and Velma they are, are a married <laughs> they are a married old Shaggy and Velma mm-hmm. well, and, and that kind and, of stuff worked yeah 
Well, and there's there's a level of it as well, I find, that, you know, something like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or Critical Role, for instance. Mm-hmm. In in the the universe of the narrative, whether or not Earth as a planet exists is an irrelevant concept. You kind right. of don't have that with things like Star Trek, Supernatural, Marvel, you know, Earth in and of itself is a core aspect of those. So it's it's much more lightly referential, I would say, mm-hmm. or lightly meta in those sort of settings, yeah. as opposed to something like Star Wars, where, you know, if you ask somebody about the president of the United States, they'll say who, what, hmm? never heard of it. Right. Yeah, so similarly, like, tone is dependent um, for me. Like, I don't mind people making references or making the joking one-off references. We see these all... Good, because you're both in my conflicts. We, we, we see this all throughout... We see this all throughout... Um, Critical Role. People, you know, who thank, you know, thank Jesus, who? You know, like, they, uh. the, the, the constant, like, use of idioms that don't quite work uh, in the setting and, and joking about it and moving on. Um, the ones that bother me are when your entire character is a reference. And I don't mean in the way that Chris Hardwick's character is, although to some extent Gern Blanson does annoy the fuck out of me just as oh, a yeah. character. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> now, as a character or as, as, a, as a character. selected name for that? Okay. As a character. As a character. As a as character. The entirety of Gern bugs the fuck out of me. Because okay. it's, it's... The only way I could really think to describe this is um, if it's... So... In World of Warcraft, or in Warcraft, in Warcraft RPG games, you can name a gnome Wrenchum Nuts, and that is in-universe a realistic gnomish name. Sure. That's fine. It's funny, and it certainly is like sort of a, a funny haha whatever name, but it is also a realistic in-universe name. If I were to name, uh, if I were to name a gnome, um... Uh, uh, Peter Dinklage. That's less realistic of a Warcraft name, and thus more irritating to me. It's it's the it's the respect for the situation and the continuity. I feel uh-huh. that, that that bugs me. And when a character is very clearly a blatant disrespect to the continuity that they're in, that's when it bugs me more than anything else. It's just, it's that, it's that I see that you're all over here trying to have a fun, you know, trying to have a serious dramatic game. I'm going to come in here with my whacking ball and, uh, and just be a, and be a cartoon character for an hour and a half and be, you know, distinctly contradictory to the setting and theme and tone that you have set up because I find that funny. Yeah. No, thematic and tonal consistency. Yeah, like Ger- the name Gern Blanston doesn't bother me. The fact that, you know, the the zombies are all in joke references doesn't bother oh, me. Oh, we either. will get there too. We will get to <laughs> one of those. Yeah. And that one is amazing. Yeah, in all of all of those don't bother me because the names fit. Like Gern Blanston, yeah. as much as it's a reference, it's still it you can you could realistically believe that that is a name of a person in this world. 
Absolutely. Right. If it was not a Steve Martin joke and somebody named their dragonborn Gern Blanston, it sounds like a silly name, but it doesn't but it it wouldn't be Dragon McScaly or, or something right. or like that. Steve Martin as the Or Steve was, Martin. Yeah. Like or Yeah. Yeah, honestly, Steve Martin would be a much more jarring name for for this character, probably. For sure, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. absolutely, right. yeah. Um, yeah. Man, it's it's just it's kind of I get the same kind of feeling whenever people name their their dogs like normal, average, everyday human names, like Frank. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> I just said, that it, bugs you. It bugs. Yeah, naming a dog Frank bugs me. Not not only not only be, not only because it's just it's such a weird like disconnect from what is happening here, but also it leads to I remember reading this I remember reading this and then subsequently hearing about it later, uh, uh, this this review of a of a B and B where uh, as they were going to bed the owner said oh and if you leave the door open Frank will come in and sleep with you, <laughs> and then uh, clarifying that Frank is the dog, <laughs> so it's like that that. It's that sort of a feeling where it's like, what? It immediately rings as something wrong in your brain. This podcast has taught me so much about you both. (laughs) Uh, By the way, are we just going to pretend that Jack didn't say that we're in fucking conflicts? And not go back and ask about that. I mean, I know that's a diversion. Well, I mean, but all of, I'm all super of, curious. All of all of, all of Conflux's all of, external references, right? I oh. have so I have thrown so many just bullshit puns and and, ex- and, and okay. real world references because that right. was not how that read to me. And oh, okay. well, that's and and, and that's sort of a perfect example of a place where it does work because in Conflux in universe, yes. those are no, names sure. that exist in universe. And it's established for sure. that, for whatever reason, all of the all of the shops and comic books are ref, are, are extra dimensional references, and that's fine because that's consistent mm-hmm. with the internal tone of conflux. Right. And let's be honest, conflux does not take itself all that seriously. No. Like it's no. it's marginally seriously, no. but not not extremely serious. Yeah. No. Not at all. Yeah. Right. But. But like, if 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 in Grand Terra, one of the shops was named one of the things that you name your shops in in Conflux, it would be weird. Potentially, yep. Right. Also, or if in Grand Terra, you walked in and you just you found a Wawa, you know, it's like, um, what? Yeah. Right. Yep. Because that's not thematically consistent with everything else that's been established about the setting. And Grand Terra is a very flexible setting, but there are some things where it would still be right. jarring. Right, but we, but 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 yeah. it, it it's flexible, but it doesn't have Seven Eleven. No. So anyway, but should at, it? No, I'm kidding. It, should. I'm... <laughs> it has nine. It has nine and three quarters, which is the established cast. <laughs> But at this point, the rest of the group is introduced to Gern Blanston, Dragonborn Candlemaker Necromancer, whatever, who is going to be along for basically the rest of the episode. At which point, I feel, we should address the hulking necrotic elephant in the room that is Chris Hardwick. 
Yep. I mean, hulking elephant are strong words, but to describe Hardwick, at least. Uh, so, Chris Hardwick, for people who aren't aware, uh, in, it was last year, wasn't it? It was last year. It was June mm -hmm. of last... It's almost a year ago. Yep. Today. Just a little over a year, a over a year ago. Yeah. Um, a little over a year ago, Chris Hardwick, uh, uh, Chris Hardwick's ex-girlfriend, Chloe Dijkstra, uh, basically came out and reported that Hardwick was an emotional and sexually abusive boyfriend. Uh, and and sort of listed out, basically wrote an essay for Medium uh, yep. about mm -hmm. uh, about an unnamed ex-boyfriend who people very quickly identified as Chris Hardwick, and the sort of the the trials and tribulations that she had gone through while in their relationship. Uh, this very quickly uh, uh, very quickly escalated into Chris Hardwick. Uh, becoming excised from the community at large and I don't even know if or what he's doing anymore if he, so here's the somewhat depressing uh, 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 epilogue on that so the gist of it is for a while he was dropped from masthead from from mm -hmm. uh, nerd and everything yeah he's... he was dropped from his hosting gig for the for the talking dead he was pulled from uh, two panels that he had been ho set to host for Comic-Con, uh, including the first panel for the female-led Doctor Who. Um, yeah. Yeah, he was going mm -hmm. to be the host for that panel. Yoink! Yep. Um, AMC didn't investigate. Now, there were... Before I get into the investigation part, there were several... Uh, uh, reports by by you can judge credibility level if you uh, however you want, but largely credible sites like Deadline, The Wrap, so on and so forth, who spoke with people who have worked with Hardwick in the past at Nerdist, at other places, um, and they said, well, none of them could specifically attest to what Chloe. Uh, 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 detailed. None of them were surprised, and they all related stories of him being verbally abusive on set. Um, very much sort of corroborating the same kind of behavior in terms of like he'll be in the middle of a conversation with you, and if somebody with a higher Q rating walks in the room, he walks right off and and goes and goes and starts talking with them. Yeah. Uh, the, the 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 impolite term is starfucker. Um, to and anyways, to make it absolutely to make it absolutely clear what final show what final show films' stance on the situation is, we stand with victims. So yes. fuck you, Hardwick. Uh -huh. um, yes. Mm -hmm. Also, so, also to be clear, Hardwick's comedy style was always being a casual asshole, and that doesn't come from nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so AMC did an investigation into it. Um, Chloe didn't want to participate in that investigation because she always said, and she said in the original essay, that her goal was not to destroy this other person's career. Her yeah. goal was to get it out there to provide her her story so that she could move on from it. 
So she did not participate. She was not willing to 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 be part of AMC's investigation. As a result, unfortunately, it meant that AMC had very little. They basically reinstated him as the host of Talking Dead, which he is still doing. In response to that, an executive producer and several members of the Talking Dead staff walked off the show. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that is sort of where he stands. He is still the host of that. Uh, he was the sort of the masthead of Nerdist, even though, which is fucking bullshit. But even though they had, they'd cut ties with him long ago. Mm-hmm. Once, once it got sold to Legendary, um, uh, he's basically doing doing his AMC hosting stuff, and that's it at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So. so, so yeah, that's Chris Hardwick who is Gurman. Yeah, so that's Chris Hardwick, not confirmed, but very strongly alleged human garbage fire. <clears throat> yep. I mean, mostly like believably human garbage fire. Oh yes, no. Believably, yeah. There is a there is a, there is a ridiculous amount of circumstantial evidence supporting also, the garbage fire. Also, also, I mean, also witness testimony is evidence. So. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 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 And yes. And believe victims, please, for the love of God. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to be on to be on a very very temporary tangent, it strikes me as odd that if somebody gets stabbed, you don't disbelieve them, even if they have the even if they have the gaping wound, without finding the murder weapon and the location at, or the stabbing weapon and the location at the same time. But people who get abused, you don't believe at all, unless. 15 other people come out and say they got abused too. That strikes yeah. me as weird. Mm-hmm. And specifically on that, to address one part of the story, this is in the, re- the reporter and I have to sort of, yeah. sort of touch on Do it. Um, several of Hardwick's uh, other exes and his his wife came out and said they never dis- he's never displayed any of that abusive behavior to them, which does not invalidate Chloe's story. No, no it just means he never did it that to just them. Means he never did it <laughs> them yes there are many there are many people that jeffrey dahmer didn't eat right it's true and you can be you can be a i would be willing to testify to that in a court of law (laughs) yeah (laughs) you can be a horrible fucking weight worst of humanity kind of person to one person who are you are in a certain type of relationship and not to the other ones. It doesn't mean that that you weren't fucking horrible to that person. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, we have more elephants to tackle as we continue on. Yeah. Yes, we do. Right. So, but and then this being a retrospective analytical podcast brings me to the concept of, so, we have here an episode of something that all of us enjoy, support, are entertained by, love 98% of the people that are involved in it into a, for a very long time, and yet. And yet. And yet we have this episode where someone who at the time was considered more or less just a guy later on revealed to be less than a laudable individual to put it mildly and where and and that brings up questions for us as viewers and us as fans 
how do we treat stuff like this? And this is getting a little bit pretty far away from the narrative aspect of things, but not entirely. But how do you treat stuff like this when it's something you enjoy, but you find that someone who you would not support in a million years has suddenly gotten their fingerprints on it? I would say that, you know, for a great many years, people thought The Cosby Show was just good old entertaining American television. Yeah. And yet. Mm-hmm. So I've got a diatribe, so you guys go first. <laughs> okay. I am... Uh, so my opinion on it has always been, I will never dis- I, I will never go after somebody for saying that they can't watch something that has somebody who who they are not a fan of as human being um, or who have done terrible things mm-hmm. um, as somebody who observes several different types of entertainment there are shitty people out there uh-huh. and there are a lot of shitty people in entertainment um, I thoroughly understand that it is difficult to watch um, uh, uh, Cosby show or listen to his comedy stuff or listen to Michael Jackson's music or so on and so forth. That is something I've always felt is very much up to the individual to make that decision. For my part, I very strongly believe in 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 death of the author in this case where i still watch i still watch roman polanski movies mm-hmm. i still i don't listen to r kelly but r kelly is a shitty guy that makes shitty music anyway so um <laughs> i still listen to michael jackson music i still you know oh there's a couple of examples that that, that, that that are a little hard for me. Uh, uh, Chris Benoit, for people who are wrestling fans, that's, that is a good example. Um, it's very difficult to watch a guy who, who murdered his wife and child and then committed suicide in, 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 in performance pieces where he is beating people up. It's a little too close to reality for me for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 again, I get why people do watch it because in the ring he was a very talented person, and and so I so I understand why that's the case. Um, it, as could, as as people who consume entertainment, which basically everybody. Is, um, we kind of have to accept. I guess this depends on whether you, uh, you know, how how pessimistic your view of mankind is. But we kind of have to accept that probably some of the people that we really really like, that we don't know about right now, as being shitty people, are horrible people who have done horrible things. Uh-huh. And. I don't necessarily feel that the work that they've done on screen, in 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 written form, uh, um, 
in in uh, whatever the case is going to be, audio format, whatever, necessarily should be reflected on who they are as a person, unless those problematic standpoints make their way into into their work. I think a big one, I know this is one that's probably going to come up when John chimes in, Orson Scott Card, (laughs) is somebody who a lot of his work is is seminal uh, uh, science fiction and really helped a lot of people discover, discover their identities. And yet some of it is extremely problematic. And so I feel more displaced what is his own personal viewpoint on things. Uh, Frank Miller is another great example of that. You know, I would do Dark Knight Returns is an absolute undisputed classic story. This is also the guy who wrote so some of the most, the same with Sin City. This is also the guy wrote some of the most horribly misogynistic stuff I've ever read in comic books. And that's not even getting into, I don't remember what the name is. I'm looking it up now. Um, uh, Holy Terror, which is his disgustingly Islamophobic book. Um, so you kind of just have to judge it based on the person, based on your own comfort level and how much you feel his their problematic aspects are related in, into the work. That's sort of my take on it. Uh-huh. For me, okay, um, and just in case some of our our audience isn't familiar with what some of these terms we're throwing around is death of the author is a particular stance in artistic and literary criticism. So and criticism, not the colloquial term of criticism, but study evaluation, interpretation, critical analysis, critical analysis of art. Whatever you think, whatever you critically think about a thing right that sort of criticism you know so basically is this it's basically the is this good art that's you know and all of us have engaged in criticism at some point you know based on you know ask yourself if you prefer the original series or star trek the next generation if you have a preference, there's some literary criticism that you have done, you know, that sort of thing. Anytime you're comparing and and trying to gauge the relative merits, that's what we're talking about. Now, Death of the Author is basically, it doesn't matter who made it. It doesn't matter what their background was, their psychology, that sort of thing. And it's a, it's a concept that came around pretty significantly early part of the 20th century. Um as the new modern criticism and is still kind of the baseline for which most academic artistic criticism operates under is that the art needs to be evaluated by itself. Doesn't matter who wrote it. Doesn't matter what their background was. Doesn't matter if they were, you know, uh, a liberal, a conservative, a racist, religious in one way or another, you know, the psychology and biography of the creator is irrelevant to the criticism of the work. That's what death of the author tends to, to progress towards. I tend to, I tend towards a somewhat hybridized view of that. I feel like if, 
you're trying to evaluate the merits of a work. I believe that it should initially, at least, be evaluated based on its own merits. Chinatown is a really well-put-together film. Rosemary's yeah. Baby is a fantastically seminal horror piece. Mm. Roman Polanski is a human fucking garbage fire who raped a child. Right. Um, for something like this, it's a little easier for me because... The, Chris Hardwick is a guest character who shows up for an episode mm -hmm. at a time when literally nobody who was involved in production probably had any inkling or at least nothing had come out that would have put it into the consciousness. And the people that are regular cast members and Matt Mercer is a designer and, and showrunner more or less of of this series are fantastic people. So this is a Chris Hardwick's presence in critical role to me is a drop in the bucket. Yeah. Plus there have been things afterwards where the Matt specifically, but the rest of, of the, the critical role production staff have definitely taken their stand to believe victims, yes. even specifically in the Chris Hardwick case as well. So I don't have an issue. Now, if if Chris Hardwick is a particularly triggering person for you and you don't want to watch this particular episode, sure. But if you come but if somebody tries to come at me and says Critical Role is canceled because they had Chris Hardwick on once, I'm going to have some issues with your stance. Right. Yeah. Because Or for that matter, mm -hmm. Ryan Akaba. Right. Who was actually who a also, member of the cast for a very who, long yes, time. Yeah. Who also but again, it didn't come out until after he was done with the show. Mm -hmm. Very publicly outed himself as a garbage person. Right. Mm -hmm. But in terms of thing, and I, I'm trying to come up with a good example that won't step on what I know John's going to bring up. There are works of art. And I mean, yeah, Polanski's a, a decent example uh, if where you, if you I mean, if you want an example, I have one cued <laughs> from, right, what I think no, from what I think you're about to say. <laughs> right. There are some horror writers <laughs> from the early part of the 20th century that John uh -huh. is going to talk about. Uh -huh. I'm sorry, have written some of the scariest shit. And you can learn a lot from what they have written. And I think they are valuable additions to the con to to the field to the genre so, was the person terrible and did their terrible perspectives infect their writing absolutely fuck yes <laughs> but at the same time so so we'll use that as a soft transition there. okay so just to, to get it out of the way, because like I said, I'm about to diatribe hard here. H.P. Lovecraft is a fucking racist. Well, I, I was going to get to that in a second, but I, <laughs> I have very specific problems with Chris Hardwick. Some of you that follow financial films will, will have seen. I did a blog post early this year in solidarity with, with other abuse victims about my own history of emotional and physical abuse. Uh, from family members, from significant others, etc. So I have very specific problems with Chris Hardwick as an individual. 
Uh-huh. And I don't blame anybody who either can or cannot watch this episode. Because of it, it was difficult for me to watch this episode because of who he is. That being said, his... Exp- and also just because I don't like his character. Um, but... His being in this episode doesn't make the episode as a whole trash. It's just that there's one little trash aspect to it. Much like when watching older TV series like MASH, there's often, you know, lots of transphobic and homophobic humor and comedy in it. That does not, while those aspects of it are trash, the show as a whole is still valuable and important. Yep. Um, I have a complicated relationship with the death of the author philosophy because it is a philosophy first of all it is not a law it's not a rule it's a philosophy which i find is ascribed to mostly not entirely mostly by white men trying to justify their love of hp lovecraft (laughs) (laughs) not (laughs) tell me i'm wrong i mean I, the only thing I will say in regard to that is every time I've ever had the discussion with someone before this discussion, he's never come up. Okay, It's almost always yeah. in relation to people. Granted, most of the time I have this discussion, it's in discussion with the, the, the current climate. Or, yeah. or, or it's, it's for everybody from Polanski forward. Yeah. 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 So, I don't usually have this discussion I, yeah. with people back with, with people that further back. That said, I would, to, I, would I understand a, where you're coming from. I had a bunch right. of, I had script writing classes. So I like that's right. Yeah. No, I, I usually hear it. I usually, I hear it with Polanski. I hear it with, um, uh, fucking, yeah, no. I mostly hear it with with more of the the modern, yeah. So aspect. Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey. You'll hear it with. You'll hear it with. You'll hear it about Tarantino. Yep. You'll yeah. hear it about. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People who are less like le- people who are perhaps a little less on the. So there's two aspects of death of the author. It must be said mm-hmm. that we're talking about. Here. And I was just about to get into that actually. Yeah. Um, okay. So cool, the, yeah. the the original philosophy, as penned down by a French dude in the seventies, I think, um, yeah. was that when analyzing or critiquing literary works, the author's intention or viewpoint should not be the end all by which you judge the piece. Now note that phrasing should not be the end all. Basically saying that the author says it's this, so it has to be this. That's not right. That I agree with. Yeah. A lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people misinterpret that as, and use it in arguments as the author doesn't matter. Which is abjectly not true. Ignore the author ignore them that's mm-hmm. that particular interpretation of the philosophy is the one that i have issues with yes well it, mm-hmm. it it's bullshit <laughs> yeah right because that's i taking, mean taking a concept and pushing it way the other end of the spectrum yeah and, and yeah and the reason that i have that issue with is because in the the, the several examples that i that i have is that if that were true then why do we care about creators of color and non-male creators. 
I mean, yeah, the, yeah, yes. It's like creators of color, uh, uh, as you said, queer creators, everything. Like you look Uh at all of these stories, like, and this is, this is, is, uh, it's okay if I do a slight diversion. Feel free. Hit me. Okay. This is, I, I, I went into a really big rant on my Facebook and Twitter recently um in relation to let's date this episode in relation to the very recent casting of holly bailey bailey mm. not barry bailey <laughs> as the little mermaid we're not getting upset that people misread the name because it's very understandable no. that you misread the name <laughs> and that brought up a lot of the racist okay the racist, uh, yeah, let's just fucking racist. say it. Yeah. Who, who always complain, well, yeah, we can cast all the white roles with black people and Indian people. And let's be clear, when they say Indian, they're not talking about the Indian subcontinent there. Um, Native Americans. Or Asian or, 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 or so on. But if you cast a person of color role with a white person, it doesn't, you know, Everybody would get new uproar. And there are many reasons for that. But a very big part of that is because, and this is where where, where it, I, I sort of verge back in, is that films that center on characters of color are A, usually films or stories in general, are A, almost always created by people of color, or films that center on on queer people are almost uh, always created by 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 queer people etc 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 and comes from a very particular perspective Uh and almost always because of that even if it doesn't directly involve their background um that perspective is important to that story yeah Meanwhile, it literally does not fucking matter that Iron Man is whether Iron Man is white or not, or whether Mary Jane Watson is white, or fucking the mermaid is. Yeah. So the 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 idea that the the creator of an artistic piece does not matter that particular interpretation of death of the author annoys me on many levels. Yes. And, and, and like I said, reasons, again, another, another example that I came up with was what would you prefer in a, if a movie was being made about a black lesbian? Would you prefer the director be a cis white male or a black lesbian? If you believe that the author doesn't matter, then that shouldn't matter to you. But most people will most people have a definitive answer to that question. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. So... Yeah, just like art is not created without context. It's not created in a vacuum. It can right. be studied in a vacuum. It can be analyzed in a vacuum, but it cannot be created in a vacuum. It is created by a person, and the context of that person matters, which is why when you talk about H.P. Lovecraft, he was a giant flaming racist, and his work contained lots of racism. Uh-huh. It's yeah, okay to. It's okay to like his stuff, but you have to understand that there is racism in it. 
Yep. Yeah. You have to yeah. be able to acknowledge that and that he himself was a racist. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and you can, if you take something away from a work, like if you watch something and you take away something different from what the author intended it to be. That's fine. That doesn't mean, yeah, that doesn't mean that your takeaway is invalid for you. No, absolutely. Right. But You're talking about Orson Scott Card. It's also Carr. important. Yeah, Orson Scott Card is a perfect example of that. George Lucas is a great example yeah. of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was what the death of the author essay right. was originally about, was that if you're strictly interpreting a work based on what you think, what, what if you're trying to just get as close to what the author meant when they wrote it, you are limiting the possible interpretations of the text and you are limiting and possibly invalidating other people's perfectly valid takeaways from reading or interacting with whatever this work is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but the wording was basically if when you're when you're interpreting a text, interpret it as if the author is dead and thus cannot answer your questions, not mm-hmm. as if the author never existed, never existed. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I, I have I have I have that level of problem with because people throw death of the author around all the time when when trying to invalidate people's misgivings with a work. Um, right. You, it is not a tool with which you can invalidate somebody's dislike of a thing. If someone says I didn't like this episode because Chris Hardwick is in it and the things that he has been accused of are things that I have lived through. That is not invalid by saying death of the author, death of the author. Yeah. You don't get to do that. Any more than you're allowed to yell whatever you want on a street corner and say freedom of speech. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, I think we have been talking about this in, 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 in our chat before. And... You know, the, the, I think the the extreme example is 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 the Mein Kampf explanation. Yeah. You know, which, yeah, you can have a problem with Mein Kampf because it's not it's not fictional. First of all, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's not a narrative work. It's a fucking manifesto. So, you know. You can't take every written work or every film work and say the author's intent in it didn't matter because in mind it was definitely did. <laughs> yes, it it, it absolutely he was a mass did. murdering fuckhead. Right. And you know, to back off from back off from from from, from Post Law for a second. <laughs> um, uh yeah, you know, if you look at um I mean honestly Lovecraft is the perfect example because listen, I love Lovecraft. I think that his his works are absolutely seminal in terms of cosmic core. But the outsider is garbage. Yeah. Yeah. The outsider is racist garbage. Hmm. And I I no matter how well it's written, it is very clear what his authorial intent was there. Um so you can, you know, it's really hard to read that and not think, hmm, maybe there's something wrong with this? Yeah. And it's like, there are people that will jump on you as soon as you use the words authorial intent. 
but that is just as much a correct method of analyzing a text yeah. as ignoring it. It is a tool with which you use to analyze text. And that's what we're about. We're about analyzing things and critiquing things here. And yeah. Take that lesson away. It's like... It is a tool at your disposal. What the, the intent of the author is just as important as ignoring it, because it is part of the thing. And then, like we're saying, Orson Scott Card. There's a lot of Orson Scott Card. For those that might not know, although I think we've mentioned it before, is a raging homophobe. Uh, and his, but there are a lot of homosexual, like coming of age, self discovery subtext in Ender's Game, which is his most famous book. Yeah. Um, the reason that's there is because he didn't know enough about homosexual culture in the first place to get what he was writing. Right. Which is why you don't always have to go with authorial intent, because there's no way he could have intended it because he didn't know what he was writing. And that doesn't make that takeaway any less valid. At the same time, him being a raging homophobe is still a fine reason for you not to read his works. Yep. Yep. Especially because he's still alive and, and gets money from them. <laughs> and when you read some of the comics work he's done... Uh, some of that is really sketchy in terms oh, yeah. of in terms of of what he's the themes he's writing into. But yeah, so yeah. To, when as as a personal favor for me, whenever people bring up death of the author, think about it for a minute because that can it while it is a valid tool to use, and I and I don't I don't I don't like hate it as a as a as it was intended to be used right. as its original authorial intent was which is kind of a funny thing to, to have um, it can be used as a tool of erasure especially by white men in literary classes and colleges <laughs> who will who will at any point in time use it to, as an attempt to level the playing field when dis air quotes when discussing authors and if you think for a minute you can discuss and analyze a Spike Jones a Sp uh, uh, oh Jesus sorry, no, Spike no. Spike Lee Spike Lee Spike Lee joints Spike Spike, Lee yeah joints. if you think for, it's not Spike Jones if you think for a minute you can dis you can discuss or analyze a Spike Lee movie without taking into account the fact that Spike Lee is black then you should not be analyzing literature at all because that I is mean, what his shit is about. Yep. To be fair, Spike Jones too. Yeah, just not, from, <laughs> just not, 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 not in the same way. <laughs> but like, not just Spike, not just Spike Lee either. Ryan Coogler is an, is, a, yeah. is a modern example of that. Robert Rodriguez. You look at, Huh? Robert Rodriguez is another example. You Robert can't, Rodriguez. You cannot uh, watch the Mediachi or any of those movies without knowing that this is from a Spanish perspective. Yes. John Waters. <laughs> John Waters is a... Oh my god, yeah. From a, from a, from a, from a creeper's perspective. <laughs> um... Oh Jesus! Is that the first thing you really think of? What do you think of John Waters? The mustache. It's the only thing that's in my head anytime I think of John Waters. <laughs> oh my God! I sir, mean, sir, I guess need, that's need... yeah. <laughs> I guess that's I guess that's fine because it's it's a better image than the first image I have when I think of John Waters' works. <laughs> uh, my, mine involved a uh, 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 divine. And, yep. uh, uh, and and uh, pink flamingos. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I can't just look it up. Just look it up. The lip yep. lining, the lip line mustache is the first thing that comes to mind whenever anybody says John Waters. And that's exact. I can't get past it. 
It's in my brain. Pink flamingos, an anyway. exercise in poor taste. But yeah, so so that diatribe aside, because like I said, it's a it's a it's a thing with me. It's like I don't like people erasing the identity of people who make content. Weird being a content mm-hmm. creator who has an identity and who makes stuff tied to his identity. Anyways, um, but back to the the Hardwick thing. It's like yeah, like at the time for me, at the time. He was just a guy. He was a comedian who had a slightly insufferable comic style, um, and who taught him who and who I knew from being on G Four for the longest time. Uh-huh. Uh, 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 him and Allison Hayslip had a had a the thing that the thing that thinking back on it was probably a very clear indicator as the kind of person he is. Was that the first joke I can remember him ever saying was compare was the fact that he he, he as Chris Hardwick and Allison Hayslip were together on a on a on a on a thing. Being that they were paired by by based on the uh, sexual characteristics of their last names, Hardwick being clearly phallic and Hayslip being clearly not being clearly vaginal, um, probably a sign. Now that I think about it, but, <laughs> I should have told you everything you didn't. Um, but yeah, like a, a, at the time it was fine, and in the intervening year or years. <laughs> Uh, it has be- he has become persona non grata, but looking back at the event, I can compartmentalize that because it's like, yes, this is uncomfortable for me, and yes, this character sucks. But yeah. none of the people on set with him are condoning his actions, right? And it's like, if if now it would be different if they if this episode aired today, mm-hmm. because at that point now it is a condoning his actions or condoning condoning the things that he has been accused of doing. Um, that would be different. But the context of the show, much like the context of any art form in the time it's created and by the person it's created by, matters. And in the context of this episode, he's just another guy. Yep. But back to the narrative. Yes. That was uh, for probably about 30 seconds before I, I was say, that was like a 30 that was like a 30 minute long back tangent. In, we're going to go back into that in a second. Okay. So we And we're going to do lesson. a history lesson. Oh, yes, yeah. we are. We and I'm Gern so Blanston. excited. <laughs> we meet Gern Blanston. He kind of does a level of negotiation with the rest of the crew and decides to come along. Um, they push further in to the Cinder Grove and are confronted by some fire elementals. Now, do we learn the and name? Do we learn the names of his of his undead? When, yes, when but I'm not bringing there. those up we're yet. Okay, okay. Yes, we've already learned the names of his undead, okay. but we're not bringing those up yet because I want to at least get towards the end of my to- segment before I go into Silver Screen Hollywood and history lessons. And oh, weird, I'm so excited! Weird, for weird this. shit that happens in Southern California. Oh yeah. Um, when you start pointing cameras at. people. Um, so Keyleth, seeing the fire elemental, goes into her fire elemental form, because in that version, she can at least talk to them. And there's a level of of interaction. Turns out that there are a number of fire based beings that are sort of rampaging around the cinder grove, as one might expect when you rip a big hole in reality and let the fire plane into the real world um but there's some elementals there's a salamander she tries to intimidate them and miraculously succeeds but that only 
results in them retreating somewhat further back towards uh, the 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 ground zero of of Thordax exit into the planetary <coughs> plane again. As a sidebar, um, this is the reason why I love D and D. You can do anything; it just won't work out the way you thought it would. Right, exactly. <laughs> yep. Um, and eventually, they're confronted by uh, kind of a. a a lava spattered landscape and a fire elemental salamander force that they're going to have to fight through in order to get where they're going. And so Gern Blanston initiates combat by giving one of his magic candles to his uh, undead zombie whose name is Fatty Arbuckle. Ha 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 ha. Now, in retrospect, given what we have covered from there are so many the clues. conduct of, of Chris Hardwick. So many clues. The fact that he chooses okay, so the other two's name, the other two undead that he has, their names are Carol, Coral, Carol or Coral, Stimpy, and then there's Fatty Arbuckle. No, there is Carol and, and Coral. Carol, oh, right, yes. Carol, one of those was Carol, the one that they... Coral, Stimpy, and Fatty Arbuckle. Yeah. Right. Now, this is possibly the most ironic Jesus possible God. selection, especially considering that they all live in Los Angeles. It's Chris Hardwick who named this NPC that he's hauling around with him, and it's named after Roscoe fucking Fatty Arbuckle. Fatty Arbuckle was a silent film actor. He was a comedian. He did directing, writing, that sort of thing. But uh, very early Hollywood, silent film era and and forward. He was wildly famous. Uh, He was literally like uh, he mentored Charlie Chaplin. He was the guy who discovered Buster Keaton, Bob Hope. I mean, these are major names that this guy is familiar with. He's one of the most popular silent film stars uh, at the turn of the century. Um, One of the most highest, uh, one of the highest paid actors in Hollywood as of the 1920s. Um, Like the man was on the. The top end of 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 the film industry yeah. as a performer he was the top um, of the a-list yes he like wasn't in, a, in a very yeah. real way you know, yes. he, was, no 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 was he a mentor to charlie chaffin i thought he was just a contemporary no no he was, he was a contemporary a but he was a mentor as well he was yeah. also a mentor okay. yeah yeah mm-hmm. yep um he was but, a, he was a fair bit older um but yeah 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 mm-hmm. um or maybe he was anyway yeah, like he's he's what you would he's what you would get if you you crammed like oh I don't know uh Jack Black and Chris Farley into the same body and threw in yeah like it, it was he except was, he, more successful than either of those two combined right yes and that's mm-hmm. not a slide on Jack Black or. Or, or Chris Farley. Right. I'm just saying this guy was that successful as right. as, as he an was. Actor. Yeah, the highest paid, and but then he was the defendant in count them three widely publicized criminal trials for the rape and manslaughter of an actor 
in the early part of the 1920s. Um, there were two trials. The first two had hung. Um, in but, either direction. In yes, kind it was high. ridiculous. Sorry, you, like, cut, you cut out there for a second, but hung juries, hung yes. juries in yeah. either direction. Yeah, yeah, one was like the first was mostly innocent, except for like two holdouts, and the, and second, the second was mostly is like nine to three, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, uh, guilty, <clears throat> but they both yeah. hung. Right. Um, but basically, uh. Arbuckle had hosted a party. This actress, Virginia Rapp, had fallen ill. She uh, died four days after the party. One of her acquaintances accuses Arbuckle of uh, of drugging, raping, and accidentally killing Rapp. And then uh, after the formal, after the third trial, he's finally acquitted. But despite that, it's the 1920s. You have an insanely famous person who is put up for on on charges of a an absolutely horrific crime if it was a crime. And after the trials, all of his films are banned. He's publicly ostracized. Uh, You know, they were banned for almost a year, I think. Uh, they were banned for, I think, more than that. So, oh, okay. as perspective, so Fatty Arbuckle's trial was one of three or four major scandals that ho- hit Hollywood at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. There was early twenties su- were not good yeah. for Hollywood. It was the suicide of of Olive Thomas. Mm-hmm. Um, the the shooting of William Desmond Taylor, who was a <laughs> film director, who it came out that the. the there were several it was very suspicious and there was a young actress who said that she was involved with him whether that's true or not who knows and there was a lot of insinuation that he was gay um and to be clear, and then there was fatty to be clear uh his works weren't banned they were destroyed yes yes <laughs> yeah so in the midst of all of these three scandals plus a couple other things that came up this is why we got the co- the 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 restrictive movie code that we got. Mm-hmm. The Hayes code was yeah. because there were there were hardline religious groups who were calling for complete bans of Hollywood. Remember, Hollywood was still in its early stage at this point. Yeah, it didn't have the lobbying power it did, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, uh, I don't remember what studio he was with and probably Warner Brothers. Paramount, I think. Probably. Uh, Warner Brothers. Uh, Paramount Pictures, right? Oh, Warner. Wait, it was with Warner Bro, Brothers. What? Okay. Warner Brothers. I know okay. he was with Paramount. Oh, sorry. For, sorry, hang on. Yeah. He, he, his comeback was with Warner Brothers. His, okay. Yeah. Yeah. His original, his original was with his Paramount. original was with Paramount, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, they took yeah. his, they took his, all of his films out of theaters he they, they even had one that was about to come out and they took an enormous loss yeah, yeah. on it because he there were there were boycotts to the point of riots mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. outside of theaters if you want to get the full full story on this um i strongly recommend there's a great podcast called yeah. uh, you must remember this and um Karina Longworth covered this in a fairly recent episode uh, talking about uh, uh, the book Hollywood Babylon, which has sensationalized versions of a bunch of Hollywood stories. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But anyway, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So just as as. But a, the fact that Chris Hardwick. <laughs> as, they, yes. Yeah. As as a as a clarification, the only surviving uh, the only surviving. Uh, copies of any of Arbuckle's film are worn prints in foreign language inter- with with foreign language intertitles, because which a lot of them have been restored. It must be some, that, some have been. I've seen, yeah, some have been. Um, but and it, it's because, and it's partly because there wasn't a whole lot of incentive to preserve films in the first place. No, but also because after his trial, people actively were destroying his reels. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Ironically, he was probably actually innocent, whereas... <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep, yeah. But, so, having that happen <laughs> definitely made my brain go, wait, what? Yep. <laughs> um, but sometimes reality has a big way of playing jokes on us. Um, and with kind the, of like Bernie Madoff, his last name was Madoff, as in with mm-hmm. your money. Yep. <laughs> right. Yep. Yep. Uh, but 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 start kicking off this short phase of combat with the very aptly named zombie who is now carrying a candle. There's an explosion of ice and which does exactly what you'd expect to fire-based creatures. They're they're not terribly happy, um, but this initial stage of combat is fairly quick. It's a couple elementals and a salamander. The gang mops it up pretty quickly, and then they pre- uh, prepare to move further on, which is where I shifted over to the next person in the sequence. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so the flame of the... Uh, the flame-based entity and the other elementals uh, make their way through the terror. Uh, party tries to be sneaky, uh, but they, they they do manage to attract the attention of the Salamander General and said flame-based entity, which is an Afri, uh, sends his forces that way, starting initiative. Somehow I always end up getting the combat section. Well, it's okay, because I, kn- I know your section isn't going to be that long, because they're still in this combat by the time it gets to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I I have three, I have all of three uh, moderately small paragraphs, and that's because I went in detail. Um... <laughs> I also, did. Salamander General seems to be like one member of the four-member boy band. Yeah. Also, with the Attorney General, the Surgeon General, and the Postmaster General. But that'd be a great boy band. I know, right? Well, I mean, I, um, but then where does the Thief Taker General go then? Uh, uh, he's the manager. Okay. Uh, Gurn identifies the flame creature as indeed Nefreedy. Uh, and the Afridi throws two fiery balls at the party, but misses. Uh, Vax chucks three daggers at the Salamander, two of them find perches. And Vex marks the Afridi in fire, uh, Connor's mark, and fires arrow hitting once. Might I point out, by the way, this has nothing to do with the narrative. But I really love how on the Critical Role wiki... When they re- when they go to inventory, they refer to arrows and bullets that were fired at at, at enemies as being relinquished to them, <laughs> and that's fucking hilarious to me. <laughs> we they was relinquished, and if they missed, they're relinquished to the environment. <laughs> Anyways, 
Um, uh, the fire, the fire elemental rushes at Gurn, hits him twice. One of them, uh, a fairly nasty shot as Gurn catches a flame. Uh, another elemental engulfs Scanlan and Percy, but misses them. Gurn rushes around and casts Cone of Cold, last, uh, blasting a couple of elementals and providing a, a bit of running room across the lava, uh, having frozen that up. He also has one of his zombies smother the flames on himself in particularly gross fashion, and the other, Stimpy, starts a snowball fight with a fire element. <laughs> yeah, I have my own reasons for not liking Gurn. Yep. Um, what would that and, be? And I just... It sort of touches on what you said as far as him as a character in terms of He's a tonal mismatch. Mm-hmm. He is somebody. He is that player, and everybody who has who has played D anD D for a particularly long time has had that player or or other role playing, where you are trying to tell a certain kind of story, and it's problem. Maybe it's dramatic, maybe it's not, but you're telling. You're trying to, and somebody comes in and they're like, "I'm going to play my own game." That drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. Either you're, um, you're 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 making a com you're you're playing a comedy game and they are come in as emo McEdgelord seven seven six, right? Or you're trying to play a fairly serious and dramatic game and they come in as Doink the Clown. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's it it's it's the table version of not being able to read the room or in some cases just refusing to read the room. Yes. Mm-hmm. You find this happen a lot in, uh, I don't know, I've never done like a random people get together World of Darkness game before. Um, not, not because that's just a disaster, recipe for disaster. Yeah, but yeah, but I found it a lot in online World of Darkness game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very hard to play Changeling. This is one of the reasons why cha- why Old World Changeling is so difficult to play. Because there's somebody, always somebody, who wants to play the goofy fucking puka and completely throw everything off kilter. Oh, and-, and I say that as somebody who thought the puka was a fantastic gift. <laughs> um, now, to be, to be clear, there is such a thing as an internal versus external tonal difference. Yes. Um, because, like, you can play a character that isn't in line with the rest of everybody else's characters. We, ha- we have Mara. Um, <laughs> we have... Excuse me. We have all of our players. I mean, absolutely. But Mar- Mara is the easiest one to point at. And say, Mara is a good you know, one. Yep. Here's, here's right. Hope dumping, a, dumping an, an ooze out into the middle of a temple. Um, yep. With the characters can have different tones to themselves. But externally, how you approach the story is what we're talking about. Gurn as a character is mostly annoying. Just it, it, the reason he's annoying is because of the way Hardwick approaches the game. He's there for Hardwick to goof around. Yeah, like and like, there's nothing compar- inherently wrong with Gurn, like as constructed. Yeah. It's how he is presented and played. Compare compare the way Hardwick plays Gurn. To the way someone like Sam uh, plays Scanlan. Well, I was gonna say uh, I was gonna say in terms of guest people, oh. the, the way that someone like uh, Felicia Day mm-hmm. uh, uh, played. Oh Lilith. my God! Not Lilith. No, not uh, Lilith. 
Um, Hang on. I have. To, I just have to grab my D and D book and see what you signed it as. Um, uh, Lyra. 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 Yes. Mm-hmm. Or, or for that matter, how Will Wheaton played. Um, I don't have that signature yet, so I don't remember his name. I was using um, I was using Scalen because I think that's or, an easier. Or, or John Heater played Lionel Gayhart. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, right. I was using Scalen because I think that's Scalen is a character that is meant to be very tonally different from the rest of the group, and he, he does make lots of external exterior references in game. But as a player, he maintains that seriousness towards the game itself. Absolutely. So that even though his character is very goofy and silly and meta humory, he there's not a problem with him because he is still taking the he is still approaching the game at the same level that everyone else is. Yep. I was thinking I was trying to think of more of a guest level because yeah. like most of the guests that have come in have taken comedic bents overall. Yeah. But they've still been very constructive to the storyline fit themselves within the storyline instead of yeah i mean and gurning it yeah instead of gurning it yes um so yeah uh the gurn is more gurn is more interested in like i said having snowball fights with fire elementals and and, and shit like that not that he doesn't do some things that are helpful in the fight but those seem to be more outliers than I mean, actual. I think the difference. I think. Norm. I think the difference here, because having a snowball fight with a fire elemental, elemental is absolutely something Keyleth or Scanlan would do as well. Um, but I think the difference there being, for Gurn, the snowball fight is the point. Yes. Whereas for the other characters, fighting the elementals would be the point. The snowball yes, fight exactly. would just be a comedic way to do it. <laughs> um. So anyway. Uh, while that snowball fight happens, uh, Percy goes running for a crater to get some distance, still on fire, uh, but, but manages to avoid getting hit by the opportunity attack. Uh, Cass hex on an elemental, fires some shots at it. Again, I know that I put, I'm doing this blow by blow, but there is not much else for me to do. <laughs> um, uh, as to being on fire, he gloriously says, it's just fire. I will be on fire. <laughs> um, <laughs> Scanlan does the MVP moment of the night, casting Odalix Resilient Sphere and encasing the Afridi in a bubble and negating him for a time being. He also heals Gurn. That's what we're going to Yeah. Uh, I, 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 really? Yeah, because the, 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 the Afridi was in the bubble at the beginning of my section. Oh no, so, there's still some to go. Oh, oh, there's still. Yeah, he re- stays in the bubble for a bit. Okay. He stays in the bubble for a while. For a long time. Uh, and then Keyleth busts out the big gun, casting tidal wave, yeah, and wiping out the two elementals and proving uh, definitively that no one in the critical role cast <laughs> knows how many gallons are in a cubic foot of water. <laughs> because they're trying to figure out, like, okay, how much damage is it? It's like 20, 30, because it's one point of damage, cold damage, for every gallon in a cubic foot of water. So they eventually decide... Seven and a half, seven and a half gallons in a cubic foot. They, yes, they eventually decide that it's enough to kill... And then later on... Uh, a critter said that it would have been 
a, a total in the tidal wave of like 120 gallons, which is abjectly wrong. Completely wrong. So, yes, there are 7.481 gallons in a cubic foot of water. A tidal wave is 30 feet by 10 feet by 10 feet. That was 22,441 <laughs> gallons of water. <laughs> Those fireometers weren't just dead. <laughs> they were obliterated. They were obliterated Repeatedly. from existence. <laughs> Um, so Grog attacks the salamander, uh, um, uh, Craven then starts to steal its strength for him, <clears throat> and he takes some heat damage with each strike. Uh, the salamander strikes back, piercing with the spear, but missing with its tail. Vax chucks three daggers into the salamander. Vex hits an elemental with her lightning arrow, while another elemental moves in and attacks Scanlan, but misses. Gurdon uses his lightning breath on an elemental, and Scanlan casts lightning bolt at the elemental. Please, uh, Scanlan thrusts lightning bolt at the elemental. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Percy takes a shot, but bad news misfires, so he pulls out the pistol, and... I think I missed something in here because I'm pretty sure Percy didn't heal Gurn. Uh, Scanlan <laughs> heals Gurn again, I assume. Uh, Keyleth does another tidal wave, killing more elementals, <clears throat> and Grog deals more damage to the salamander. Uh, Vax kills the salamander with a dagger throw. Gurn then pulls out his broom of flying. Remember that. We'll be getting to that later, I'm sure. Yep. And flies up to the sphere to Ifrit. Now it's your turn. Okay, so from on top of the Ifrit, uh, Gurn tries to start smacking it down into the lava. Uh, as as uh, Grog walks out into the lava and tries to pull the sphere down so that they can sort of get the Ifrit in a good position to kill it when, this, when the bubble pops. Um, Grog standing in lava because Grog is Grog and doesn't care. Um... <clears throat> As this is all happening, uh, the bubble pops and Gurn falls. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm, I don't remember what caused him to fall, but he falls into the lava. Uh, um, and as he's doing that, Vex helpfully get, uh, takes the broom from him so it doesn't fall into the lava. Um, while they're getting him out and getting ready for and 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 dealing with the Afrit. Uh, Vex, very, no, this is, yeah, this is before the bubble popped, actually. He falls off the bubble, trying to do something, into the lava. The bubble's still there. Vex takes the broom from him and secrets it away into the bag of holding, uh, sleight of handing it into the bag that Grog has on him, because he's right there, and exclaiming, Oh no, the broom fell in the lava! As, as Vex steals a guest person's item. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that happened. So, at the time, people really cared about this. A lot. A lot. They thought it was the worst thing ever. Uh, and we get... What the actual fuck, people? <laughs> it's a pretend broom that's never... That, if you don't steal it, is never going to show up again. Also, where is this rule that you don't steal from party members? Because 
I'm just saying. I have been <laughs> in very few games that have played by that rule. <laughs> um. So... <laughs> this is where we get into a part of this kind of character that really drives me crazy. Or at least this type of player. Because after the... After the thieving happened, the rest of the episode, combat and non-combat section, is nothing but uh, 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 Chris Hardwick's Chris Hardwick uh, using his his uh, his lack of ability to catch the thieving in progress to loudly and vocally guilt not Vexalia but Laura Bailey for doing the thing uh by by you know constantly referring to laura's character as a nice character who is an honest person and would never would never steal from a friend uh and doing it so loudly very clearly directed at the player because these are all things that the character wouldn't have any reason to say um Contrasted with Scanlan, who I think did catch it, but didn't want to out, out and out admit it, um, being very subtle about, you know, in character, Gurn is a very good friend. We would certainly want to, you know, be kind to him, but only doing it a couple of times. There's a difference in those two approaches. I think the two of you will agree. <laughs> yes. Now, to be fair, at the time... That didn't bother me. Oh, yeah. it bothered because, the fuck out of me. Because I make those kinds of... I mean... I make those kinds of sort of... Sort of... Sort of meta-silly... You know... Good-natured ribbing kinds of things... All, all, all the time when somebody does something... In character that's... Good. But... Knowing... You know... In, in both... Us as a group... Final Show Films as a group and my home tabletop group, knowing us as well as we do, I'm pretty sure everybody knows I'm not actually giving them a hard time for well, And the, right. I think the big difference, though, is when you do that, you do it once, maybe twice. Yeah, no, you're you, not wrong. This There's is a, a lot of it. This is a this is a 15 to 20 minute stream of Gurn making these comments. But that's also, like you said, <laughs> that sort of Hardwick's humor. Like, I, yeah. I, I appreciated... <laughs> before, I appreciated Hardwick's humor probably a little bit more than you did, because most of my experience with him was on things like his podcast yeah. mm -hmm. or um, uh, At Midnight or things like that. But, to be frank, repeating the same joke over and over and over again is sort of his shtick. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and for some people that some people can make that really really work. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think he was okay at it, so it didn't bother me at the time. In retrospect, that is one of the few things in this episode that legitimately bugs me because right. it reads very much as these same kinds of things that he was being accused of. Mm hmm. In in terms of an emotionally manipulative way, yeah, obviously not some of not that that's not bad, but not some of the most 
the physical things. And, and, it, and, and it might and simply be because like it, it always read as manipulative to me. And that might just yeah. be why it's always bugged me. <laughs> and that's fair. I, In retrospect, it's definitely like I cringed. Yeah. Um, at the time, I didn't have any issue with. Yeah. And especially when you realize, when I realized that a lot of the reaction online was probably goaded by how hard he pushed. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, let's be honest. There are certain elements of there are certain elements of the fan base, much smaller than in pretty much every other fan base I've ever encountered. But there are some elements of the fan base who, anytime certain people in the cast do things, certain people with certain chromosomes, yes, <laughs> yep. they're gonna lose their shit over it. But. <laughs> This one, Keyleth, the reaction to this was so, yeah, the reaction to the to the broom scene was so over the top that even though it it wasn't as vehement as I think a lot of the stuff that Marisha gets, I mean clearly not as much as much of the stuff as Marisha. Gets. We've seen some of the things that have been sent I, to yeah. to her DMs and messages and things like that. Yeah. And it was nothing close to the kinds of criticism that I saw levied here. But it was so over the top in respect to what the action was, it it, it threw me off. Yeah. And I can't help but think that a lot of that was caused by how hard Hardwick pushed it. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. The 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 guilting the ex the external guilting may, uh, uh, gave basically gave the community the green light to then begin externally guilting. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. No, it definitely it definitely it definitely was the was the enabling incident. Yep. Yeah. Um, but unless you have anything to add, Jack. No, it's just I, I always found it kind of hilarious that, you know, the 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 more Hardwick sympathetic esque aspect of the community went all up in arms about this. And the fact that kind of Hardwick was about it when, in all honesty, Laura having Vex steal the brew was sort of the Sean Parker moment from the social network of, and it was at this point that Hardwick made his only valuable contribution right. to a critical role moving forward <laughs> in that she has his broom now, which is going to see a lot of you. Oh, and to be clear, in case, uh, to be clear, Hardwick didn't stop with the guilting at the end of this episode. No, literally, can... the camera close. The curtain closes on him. The curtain closes on him, still guilting, but on Twitter for months to follow, and at conventions thereafter, and on the talks Machina the following week, he was continuing to guilt Laura about stealing the broom. Right. Oh, he's under a very good-natured. Yeah, uh, uh, I mean veneer. As... As manipulators do. (laughs) Yeah. And so here's the thing that I honestly never got. 
Okay, I understand the idea. I know that there are groups out there that do that. Honestly, it's sort of the it, it, it's kind of an uh, a rule of sorts in in fortune hunters, but that that you don't steal from party members. I think it's it doesn't bother me, but whatever. But the one thing that I never understood. This is literally the most in-character thing that Vex ever does in the campaign. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Like, not to say that she's ridiculously out of character at other moments. Yeah, this is completely in-character. But, but this is 100% this is on brand. most in-character thing. She could have put a broom that flies, and she wants it, and she takes it. Yeah. That's that. That is fucking Vixali in a nutshell. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, as to the not not stealing from party members thing, I think it's just it's part of that. Don't be a dick. Uh, oh, and, and I get that. It, I understand. I don't it. think I've in this always... case it was being a dick. I think in this case no. it was very very much like you said in character. It's like I'm going to try this and see if it works. Yeah. No. Absolutely. There are. It's just I uh, I know I know people who have that. It's like a hard and fast rule. You don't do it under any situation. Yeah. Which is which frankly for certain, a little weird to me, well, but I, mean, I get it. I mean, think about it, though, if you like, uh, uh, if you extrapolate that out, if you're coming around to my house and, like, you steal something from me in real life, I'm mm-hmm. going to be pissed. Yes. And so... That, because it's real life. Yeah, because it's real life. There are people that approach the game in very similar ways. Like, right. this will make me angry. This will make people angry and upset. Not only in game, but potentially in real life. So we're just going to go that off at the pass. I guess that's what the weird thing is to yeah. me is that that rule, having to have that hard and fast rule in place and to say you can never do that, indicates a lack of trust within a part. Yeah. I mean, within a group. Very or, indicate, or indicates that you've been playing with people that you probably, probably, sh- definitely shouldn't have been allowing to continue playing with you. Because we've had people in Final Show Films games who, I did it. Yeah. Selena regularly, sk- that you guys let Selena keep the money. They did the same thing with Seth in the Everyone yes, game. Yes, they did the same thing with Seth, and Seth was constantly skimming money. And you know what? personality conflict in terms of characters aside that aspect of those characters was never a problem and it it was also entirely in character for both and it was also entirely yes it was absolutely in character for both because they're both thieves so that's (laughs) to me that idea but then again I'm also somebody who in one of our home games when one of our char- one of the characters we were playing, we were playing a, a group of drow from Menzo Brands. So we were playing like fully evil characters, and we ended up going up into uh, up into uh, into surface world for for a reason. And we came across I don't remember the name of the community, but there's a community that near Waterdeep or used to be. Not in fifth edition, I don't think. But that was a a a a, a Elastrian friendly community, and dominate community. Um, but anyways, we went there. We we got away from there. 
we went into water deep and we were doing something in water and one of our party members who is my character's sister specifically betrayed us all and got us all killed and I thought it was the best ending to a game I've ever been mm-hmm. so that's just me like completely fuck over and kill my character that's awesome so anyway but yeah, yeah. Uh, so Vex steals the broom community is angry Uh, and uh, then they some people will die mad about it it's okay yeah Uh, they eventually finish the fight with the uh, with the Ifrit uh, with Scanlan getting the killing blow with his uh, with his dick lightning yep uh, which is the second killing blow I believe uh, of the night that he gets with 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 that same spell um and they close the rift with the aid of the with the aid of the the Ashari, with the uh, the fire Ashari and the uh, wind Ashari, the air Ashari. Uh, Gurn contributes a blink candle. Um, this side note: this might have just been irritating to me because it was Gurn Blanston. But how do you guys feel about player characters repeating verbatim the thing that the GM just said? in character like not 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 saying i say that or whatever but like gm says a b c d e and then player character in player character voice says a b c d e i mean yeah it's a thing depending on character that, right depends on character some some uh, that is a that is an idiosyncrasy of of conversation that I have found somewhat frequent coming from the East Coast specifically. Repeating. So it doesn't really literally repeating conversation back. Yeah. It's a conversational, it's a conversational quirk that, 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 that certain sub sub sections of the United States exhibit. Mm -hmm. And it, it's something that I grew up with, so it doesn't. But but I grew up with it, so you know whatever. It also goes back to you know we we actually touched on this last episode in terms of recapping. Yeah. Like if the DM says, gives a big long spiel, it actually takes up more time to try and figure out how to put that in your own words. So a lot of times, like as if a DM gives a big long spiel, like 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 you know, a paragraph's worth of information, a lot of hey, times hey, I will what, what honestly does, hey, just DM, go, what does my character blah blah yeah. blah. I will honestly just go, just gesture in the GM's direction, looking at the rest of the group, and say blah. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I I feel like and I think it's I think it's probably the writer in me that that's more annoyed by. It. I would be less annoyed if he found a different way to say it. Yeah. Um, no, I get it. I absolutely get it. Like, either shorthand it or change it, but just repeating it verbatim in in an entertainment setting just wigs me out. I think it's yeah. just my writer sense more than Oh, anything. and for sure. It, they are... It's a tricky situation because they're, it, it's an entertainment setting, but it's also still their home game. But yeah. Um, so... So... Yeah. Gurn uh, uh, supplies a blink candle to to help with the 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 ritual. Um, uh, uh, um, 
Keyleth uh, does something else as well uh, to help. Well, I use the plane shift spell to help close it. Uh, and somebody else does something else, and I can't remember what because I watched this episode last week and I did and I don't take notes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they close the they close the rift, uh, and in its closure, you know, take a finally get to take a break for a minute and you know breathe and and. Uh, come to terms with the events of the day uh, as they do some of them begin picking you know picking around seeing if there's anything valuable left in the rubble and as they do they find some dragon scales which Gurn begins to pick up uh, at which point uh, Vex asks if he uses those candles or if he uses dragon scales to make his candles uh, to which uh, Gurn spills the entirety of his backstory out uh, uh, just sort of vomits his backstory to the group before leaving. Uh, his backstory being that he uses dragon scales to make candles because he is a tailless dragonborn who are suppressed by these uh, air quote superior tailed dragonborn uh, of the uh, place that Orion Nakaba's character was from. Um, and that he uses dragon scales to make his candles as his way of getting revenge because he figured why not just cut them up and put them in my candles. Then he says bye and leaves. Well, I say yep. leaves. Wanders around in the background, actively annoying me. <laughs> Fair. Uh, yep. And they pretty much they decide on, they decide on staying with the fire Ashari uh, for the night, and then leaving in the morning with uh, Keyleth's with Keyleth's uh, transport to pants spell because she doesn't have it anymore because she had to use it to get there. Uh, and that's where the session ends with the group deciding to rest with the fire Ashari and Chris Hardwick being annoying in the background. As an epilogue, <laughs> Gurn Blanston was eventually eaten by a fire giant. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Off screen. Confirmed. Confirmed by Matthew Mercer. Confirmed by the author. Yep. Going yep. back to authorial intent there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that was episode whatever the fuck it was, because I've uh, minimized my page. That was episode 20... 40, 46. 46, uh, which means that next week or next time we'll be coming back with episode 47, uh, which is da -da 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 -da. Uh, the family business. I don't remember what that's about. Uh, it is about three hours. I mean, fair enough. Uh -huh. Say goodbye, you guys. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>